Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land now known as Yarra. We also acknowledge the significant contributions made by other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to life in Yarra, and pay our respects to Elders, past, present and future. This podcast is brought to you by Yarra Libraries and the Ewing Trust. Joining us on today's podcast are two contributors to the liminal anthology, Collisions, Fictions from the Future. This is a collection of stories from the inaugural Liminal Fiction Prize Longlist. These stories ask the question, what does the future hold? Featuring both emerging and established writers of colour, this collection showcases some of the best work that Australian literature has to offer. These stories are sites for collisions, against Eurocentric ideals, against narrow concepts of excellence, against stagnant ideas of the world to come. But collisions also manifest in the way our lives come into contact with others, how our past shift against the present, and how our imaginations sit against our realities. Bryant Apollonio is a Filipino-Australian writer and lawyer. He came to Sydney with his family when he was three, and he currently lives in Darwin. In 2017, he won the Overland Prize for Fiction. Michaela Saunders is a writer, teacher, and community researcher of Kori and Lebanese descent, who has won prizes for fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, and research. Michaela was born on Dadak Ancestors' land in Western Sydney, growing up between there and Tweed Heads. Collisions, Fictions from the Future, is available to buy now at all good bookstores and available to borrow at Yarra Libraries. So first of all, welcome. We've got Brian Apollonio and Michaela Saunders here. Thanks for joining us both. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Hi, Brian. Hey, how are you going? So first of all, you're both part of the Liminal Anthology. Uh, Brian, how did you get involved with this? I sort of had always been reading the interviews um, that Liminal published. So for a couple of years before that, the prize was launched. Just reading those interviews, found them very interesting. At the, at the time, I was entering a lot of uh, short story competitions because I find that those kind of self-imposed deadlines help me, you know, push work out um, around, you know, my paid work. Um, so, so that's that's how I got into uh, entering the, the liminal prize. But apart from that, I haven't it's not I haven't really been involved in the magazine too much. I mean, I, I met I met up with. Hassan, who edited the story, and Leah in Melbourne to do a reading, which was really nice. You know, it was, just, it was the first reading I'd ever done. And, you know, people were just coming up afterwards to chat. It was, it was nice. And it's not really, never really been part of that kind of an artistic community like that before. How about you, Michaela? How did you get involved? So I saw the call out. I think I've been following Liminal on various social media channels. I'm not. I'm I'm pretty offline person, but I have like lurker accounts to stay up to date with things. Um, and I always liked Liminal's work. I thought it was not just like important. That's a word that gets thrown out a lot around non-white arts and and literature. Mm. So I saw that um, this comp was open to myself, and I had a look at the judges, who were incredible. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I can get some stories in because I'd, I'd already I'd been writing for a little bit by then, and 
I had two stories in mind. And like Brian, I find deadlines really, they're good for me. Maybe it's the terminal uni student in me that Mm. likes to know when something's (laughs) due. Um, But I managed to get two stories in. One didn't get a look in, but my story, Terra Nora, um, was pleasing to the judges and there we go. I'm sure all the the writers out there who are listening to this podcast will will know about deadlines. Uh, Writers, I think, are naturally uh tinkerers yeah and uh it's hard to finish things i think so brian your story uh that's part of this uh anthology bad weather Mm -hmm. how would you describe it to someone who was interested in reading it it's i suppose it's fundamentally just it's an immigrant narrative but i think what i wanted to do with it is tell it in an experimental style so the way i started writing the story was that it was just a set of notes on an A4 page, multiple different stories that I was planning to, to write about and perhaps enter into this competition. So my story uh, it talks about the, the single main character um, from his perspective as a child and then as, as an adult man. And then eventually I was just writing these notes up and those stories kind of fused together and I thought it'd be an interesting way to tell it. Um, just divided over two pages, one story set in the past, another set in the future. Um, intertwining at certain moments of the text. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time just, you know, not just writing it, but also making sure that the section sort of matched up. So it's not just worrying about, it's not just figuring out the prose and how, and, how to, and how to tell the story, but also how it would appear on the page was important too, structurally. Yeah, I think um, not only as a story, but visually, it, mm. uh, it's it's really interesting as well. The way that uh, different timelines, so one set in the past, one set in the future, and they're, they're running uh, in two columns that run side by side yeah. to each other down the page, and then sometimes they link up, and that kind of invokes a, like almost a memory or a shared experience yeah, through right. time. Yeah. yeah. What I had in mind maybe was that the, the adult narrator in the future was sort of recollecting some of these um, moments in the past. At the same time, it sort of upends that that logic and aspects of the future kind of travel back. Um, so, for example, there's a, there's a section at the end of the story where the child imagines, um, you know, a plane flying out of the country, which obviously hasn't happened yet. But it's just sort of this, this theme of the past being encoded in the future and and in the future in some way, in this story at least, informing the past. One of the things that I really loved about your story, Brian, is that you're not like over-explaining how the narratives join up. You Mm. gently let the reader come to that realisation and I just really appreciate that when a writer does that. You You let that come out gently and... I like how that there was, for me anyway, when I first read it, I think it was last year, there was that wonder of how these two narratives are talking to each other and then it becomes apparent and I really like that. Mm. Oh, thank you. Understanding. Uh, when you first had the idea for the story, could you see that in your mind or did that kind of come through a trial and error? I did have this sort of notion of um, just the characters travelling over a distance and there was this shared theme of just a body of water kind of linking the two stories up in the future in the present day they're they're sort of driving just down a highway in Mm -hmm. sydney and in the past that they're walking towards 
the market and then this construction side. Yeah, so I guess that was unified by that kind of, by the movement of the characters, I guess. I just thought it was an interesting setting, I think. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's just that traveling down the highway is just uh, with, with all the stuff that you have in the car was, was something mm. I definitely wanted to write about. Maybe in that sense, it started with that present day story and then I started including those flashbacks into the past. Michaela, your story is called Terra Nora. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you describe your story to someone? Look, it's a pretty straightforward narrative. You know, it's told in a, a very standard, boring third-person perspective way. Um, the most interesting thing about it is the fact that it's set in the future, in my community, in Tweed Heads or in Bundjalung country. And for me, the reason that's so interesting is because there hasn't been any stories, or there hadn't been any stories mm-hmm. set in that place and time. It's a story about the Aboriginal community who lived there in the future. And it's a very mundane kind of science fiction story. There's no there's not a lot of reliance on like laser guns and robots, but it's it kind it's a thought experiment where I ask the question, you know, what could this country look like if Aboriginal people were given sovereignty over the land? And it's a it's a future of um, accelerated climate change. So there's the, the story happens over a few days or a few weeks, and um, there's a lot of different weather events. And in Tweed, that's always been true, but I just imagine that in the future they'd just be a lot more intense and rapid cycling. Now that's the setting, but the story is really about the young protagonist of Almay and her fascination with a stranger who comes to live with the community, Skinny Kel. And it's it's not quite certain what that fascination is until right at the end because I don't think Valmay really knows either. The stories involved in the anthology, they're set in the future. Mm. Uh, and the main blurb that I read for the anthology, uh, the first sentence was the question, what does the future hold? Mm. Uh, and you know, looking around the literary landscape at the moment of the last four or five years, uh, that's a question that's you know, increasing amount of Australian writers are drawn to Mm. and influenced by. I've just finished The Glad Shout by Alice Robinson uh, as one example. Mm. And there's a lot of uh, dystopian uh, futures out there. So, you know, it's a really interesting uh, kind of movement in uh, in modern Australian fiction. Mm. I thought I'd ask you both, uh, starting with Brian, uh, what does the future hold? Uh, That's a good question. No, I, I think, it's a big one. <laughs> I think well, I'd maybe just going back to Michaela's story for a second. I think um, yeah. one interesting uh, I found, thing I found about it is, you know, it's this set off this apocalyptic event. It doesn't it doesn't depict it with, you know, cynicism, or it's not like you know the best of this community that survived. And really, I guess the story it focuses a lot on just the beauty of the of the setting. Um, you know, especially in those last sections where they're paddling across the river. There are other stories in this in this anthology that, that cover the kind of you know, dystopian high tech futures, but I think you know I, I do I do I did enjoy those stories that were set in the future, but but depicted it with this kind of style and were just and described the beauty of it as well. I think of for example, a story by Hannah Wu as well, dried up in Aralkum, which which reminded both of those stories very similar to me. Oh yeah, what a beautiful story! Thank you for that. Uh, in terms of what the future holds, okay, I think 
my own notion of the future is probably quite cynical. <laughs> um, but, you know, just uh, a lot of bad things happening and um, it's very hard to feel like there's anything that people can do about it. Uh, it's very easy to feel overwhelmed by it all. I think the Lumor project and this anthology is it's very political work. Um, it's just sort of pushing back against this this wide institution of literature. And at the same and I also think that, that literature is one of those few artistic mediums that can still be radically political, um, compared to, for example, TV or film. Um, so, so you know, you know, for, for writers and things like that, you know, we can we can do little things like that. We can yeah. produce radical works in in a style that is um, enjoyable to people uh, and accessible. But you know, in terms of the sort of meaty work of trying to make sure that things don't go to shit, you know, that's yeah, it's much much harder to do. <laughs> I agree, and I, I think um, just reflecting on what you said with the Australian literary landscape being fairly white or what dominated by white publishing and, and, and writing. Um, I think, yeah, things are getting better um, thanks to our literary forebears yeah. who've made, who've paved the way. But also, yeah, it's, it's just always really important to remind ourselves and even younger writers or even older writers who are starting out that, you know, this is an inaccessible um, storytelling is in our cultures. Mm-hmm. It's our birthright. It is in our blood. It is, just because it's not, maybe our stories weren't always written on a page or um, published in books, you know, we our voices and our stories are important. They need to be there too. White Australia owns the means of production for now, but then we've got people like Leah and everyone at Liminal who are trying to remi- mm. remedy that, and that's a good thing. Michaela, you've talked about this a little already, but um, what do you think the future holds? I think it depends on who you are because just like the present and just like the past, there are many different kinds of futures depending on the kind of person you are, the demographic you belong to, class and culture and all of that. So there's never going to be one future. For myself, I try and think about what the future could look like for people who I'm connected to in my communities because at the moment it looks like the future's going to be okay if you've got money you know it's going to be okay if you've got connections it's going to be okay if you've got technology but if you don't have a lot of political power if you don't have a lot of self-determination if your sovereignty has been undermined in the present then the future might not feel too good either but I guess that's why people fight I have my moments of crushing um, despair and cynicism it's very hard not to. It's hard to have rose-coloured glasses when you look at, for example, for the Aboriginal community anyway, or whatever that means. When you look at some of our statistics and things, um, it's horrible. But I also look at the brilliant work that people in commun- grassroots communities do to fight for you know, land and water and fight for our children. And that fight, it will always go on. So I also have a lot of hope and I think that's why I try and write stories that do have a little bit of hope because even if things are bad you know um, we'll always have each other and that's that's what means to be human right in the past five years or so we've had all these things go on in the world Um, we had ISIS in uh, the Middle East uh, the Syrian conflict 
refugees in Europe, the rise of populism in different parts of the world. We have, of course, uh, Donald Trump, four years in the US. Uh, we had the Me Too movement. We had the Black Lives Matter movement. And now we have a global pandemic. Uh, you mentioned um, the main ways that people get their information or process things are through the TV and also obviously the internet. You know, the internet has uh, itself become a, a battleground and something which has been uh, really uh, monetized. There's all types of problems with how people, uh, you know, receiving real and not real information through the internet. When you think about all this uh, and you think about writing and stories and putting, you know, words on paper, where do you think that that fits in with everything else? Do you think it's it's gaining an, an importance or it's losing importance or is it just the one constant thing that's always there? Well, okay, so at a starting point, I guess, is just we, see, we can see the internet as a sort of just a framework that started off as something that could have possibly been quite democratic and has evolved into something more sinister. And I think that, you know, what a lot of people who use the internet today are overloaded with information, um, sometimes misinformation. It's this strange paradox where we have access to everything, just so much human knowledge, but at the same time, it's difficult to sort of sift through it and find important things. I guess part of the role that literature plays and art plays in all of this is to maybe to cordon off these kinds of these important things, or things at least that are important to us, um, uh, you know, writers and artists and so on, and that we think are worth people's attention. So it's tough to fight back against just that overload of information. But I think that is what the role that literature plays is to sort of select um, the things that we should be thinking about. Sometimes I find questions really hard to answer because I, I get stuck in the semantics of things, which I'm sure is a pretty universal problem for writers. I'm sure everyone does in some way or whatever, but I, I often feel like a bit of an outsider of um, kind of mainstream society. So I find it really hard to answer questions around what is important to people because I can really only speak to my own experience or my my immediate kind of circle. So I find it really just really like hard to to answer for, you know, most people or for, for mainstream people because I just don't really belong to that. Michaela, in your story, uh, Tiranora, mm -hmm. uh, one thing I really loved about the story is the conversational aspect of it so a lot of the story is told through people talking yarning to each mm -hmm. other you know in a very naturalistic uh, language what appeals to you about writing in that style look i think um like more so than it appeals to me i let, let me just walk you through this story so this was the first story i first short story i ever wrote it was in 2017 it was for a class at the university of sydney my teacher, Fiona McFarlane, took us through a series of writing prompts, which eventually became this story. I was just doing these writing exercises, you know. I wasn't consciously thinking this is going to become a story. So I think um, as far as the voice, the, the narratorial voice and the point of view, it's probably the fact that I come from a very strong yarning culture or two very strong yarning cultures 
everybody in my family, whether I love them or whether they annoy me, are very, very, very good at talking, very good at telling jokes, very good at telling stories um, about anything. There's no writers in my family on either side, uh, my Aboriginal and my Lebanese side. Um, not many people in my family uh, readers. So these ways of yarning, telling stories, telling jokes, connecting, have just always been important to my upbringing. And I think that when I write, I kind of tap into this voice that's in my head and it's this kind of amalgamation of all my older relatives whose storytelling I loved. That's the kind of storytelling voice in my head and, yeah, I tap into it. I definitely don't kind of choose it, you know. The way I write is the way I talk. The way mm-hmm. I write is the way my loved ones talk. Very chatty, very, you know, taking notice of everything, very relational, very interested in relationships. That's just the way I am. So, of course, that comes out in my writing. The Liminal Anthology, there's quite a few different stories from people of different backgrounds based all around uh, Australia. I've yet to read all of the stories, but the, I've liked all the ones I've read, including both your own. I also particularly enjoyed a, a few of the other ones. The uh, story Suburban Graveyard mm. by Victor yeah. Krishna Sentanathan. Mm-hmm. Apologies if I mispronounced that. It was a fun, absurd kind of, yeah. <laughs> so Suburban Graveyard's about a suburban family that discusses renting out their backyard to use for mm. uh, burial plots uh, because there's an, uh, a supply problem with um, land for mm. burials. Uh, and it is it is quite humorous tale. And I also really liked uh, Auburn Heights by Neymar Ibrahim, mm. um, which is told through the eyes of the last remaining original business owners in an increasingly gentrified shopping centre. Uh, what were some of your favourites? I find it really hard. I feel mm. sorry for the judges in this comp. I could see why they, they did say they had a bit of a hard time like, choosing 16 stories. I'm going to start by saying that I enjoyed all of them in different ways. I learn a lot from each story, especially in terms of like craft and just perspective. I found them all really interesting. So the stories that I really like loved that really spoke to me in in their weirdness and their energy was um, Tongue by Jessica Jeanne Mayu. I thought her kind of child narrator who's just so kind of lives in her own head and is so awkward and nervous um i thought it was bang on and it was weird and funny you know that's the kind of stuff i like i also loved the revolution will be pirated by bobak sayed it was just ridiculous and terrifying when you think about a kyle sandilands dictatorship that was funny it was cheeky it was very queer i love that and a few others i'll uh, i love the voyeur by elizabeth flux she always writes incredible um very fun but um also pretty heavy at times stories cheese me please is just a very surprising like i didn't expect that and and as someone who um i've been like in and out of academia for a few years i just really appreciated poking fun at those corners of that language and um yeah hannah woo's dried up in arapum um like magala i I really enjoyed all of these and and i i am i am drawn to the ones that are strange and funny 
which is a sort of it's a difficult style for me to write in. Yeah, so it's always interesting for me to read that kind of thing. I really, as I said, I, I really love that Dried Up Inner Alchem. It's one of my favourite of the bunch. Just the story of of the narrator uh, making their way through mm. this dried up seabed looking for a, a ring, presumably from their dead partner. Is it, you could interpret it as this straight story of a woman just walking around, a person walking around in this desert. You know, reminding me of those great kind of existential works, you know, like Woman in the Dunes and things like that, of just of just this endless march through this desert. And I also really loved Cheese Me Please. I have, I have a real soft spot for um, a kind of corporate, mm. academic um, satire, just that, just the playfulness with, with the buzzwords and the different trends, mm-hmm. like an episode of Black Mirror and, and Succession or something like that. Yeah, I really enjoyed that story too. I also really um, loved Her Hands by Misbah Wolf. It was just really, you know, it was almost just like a very long poem and um, I'd like to give that a bit of a shout-out and some love because I, I did. I really enjoyed that story. What have you been reading recently? What's really blown you away, either recently or um, when you were starting off as a writer? I've been reading a lot. I'm, I submit my thesis in four months, so I'm actually rereading a lot of research that I've, I've had to write about. But happily, a lot of that is Aboriginal science fiction and futurism because that's what my project's about. So um, I'm rereading The Swan Book by Alexis Wright currently, but I've just reread Heat and Light by Ellen Van Nieven and Land of the Golden Clouds by Archie Weller. I I love rereading, can I just say, like it's my favourite kind of reading. I love revisiting and entering that relationship again. I'm also reading a lot of Aboriginal poetry because I'm teaching a few classes on that soon. So I'm actually, I'm spending a lot of time with Alison Whitaker's work, particularly black work and Ali Cobby Eckerman's um, Young Kinjara love poems, which are really just beautiful because I'm talking about ways that Aboriginal writers um, write country and, and talk about place and time. Um, Adam Thompson's short story collection, Born Into This, uh, out from UQP, is just really incredible. I'm almost halfway through it and he's just an incredible writer, a new Aboriginal writer, and he's very funny and he's pretty bleak and he's pretty cheeky and Karen Wilde's Where the Fruit Falls uh, I got that last year but I haven't been able to get into it but um, yeah I'm almost finished that one and and she's incredible I, I came across her when I read her short story in the After Australia anthology hers was the first one and I was really blown away by that story and and so Brian what have you been reading recently so I've been reading a lot of Latin American authors, especially during the lockdown. Um, uh, you know, my favourite authors are people like Roberto Bolaño and Borges, and I'm writing mm. some short stories at the moment that are really inspired by those authors. Recently I read uh, Paula Oloxerax Mona, um, which is this, this is a really great, really funny book about, you know, the literary scene. Mm. Recently I also read... Uh, blueberries, Elena Savage's blueberries. Yeah. I thought it was really good. It's great. I often find that these things, the books that I'm reading at the time, just end up inspiring what I'm, what I'm writing. 
chipping away at Don Quixote at the moment, and that's okay. and I'm writing a short story about you know just this guy who kind of loses it, um, looking for this treasure that he's read about. A, a lot of what I read um, just works its way into um, what I'm writing too. Mm, absolutely. Thank you both so much Thank for you. coming Thank on you. And, and talking to about about this uh, liminal anthology. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed both your pieces and the other pieces in the book. The anthology was about the future. We've talked about the future you know, a fair bit on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I just want to say I wish you both really well. Yeah, good luck for everything. Thank you. Yeah, you Thank you, you Sam. Thank you. That was Brian Apollonio and Michaela Saunders talking about the liminal anthology Collisions, Fictions from the Future. The collection is available to buy now at all good bookstores and available to borrow at Yarra Libraries. This podcast is brought to you by Yarra Libraries and the Ewing Trust as part of Fitzroy Writers Festival 2021. The Ewing Trust is a fund that allows special and unique programming at Fitzroy Library and promotes libraries, literature and a lifelong love of learning in Fitzroy. There are five libraries within the city of Yarra, Carlton, Richmond, Collingwood, Fitzroy and Bagunga Nungeon, North Fitzroy. These libraries provide free access to collections, programs and events to residents and visitors to Yarra. Please like, share and subscribe to the Yarra Libraries podcast. Thank you to the Ewing Trust for making this podcast possible. Mm.